0: It is Thursday night, it is 8 p.m. Central, it is time once again for Thursday Night Tide on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com, Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside fellow staffer Clint Lamb. Clint, I think we're going to have plenty to talk about tonight and that's before we bring on our guy Jimmy Stein coming up around 825 Central, he's going to join us as we preview the Alabama Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers, we got football on a Thursday night, too. That's always a good thing, isn't it, Clint?
1: Yeah, it's almost like there's a big game happening this weekend. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I will say this has been a lot of fun to cover because it just you, as, an, as someone that covers Alabama, there's only a few of these a year where you're really not sure if they're going to be able to pull it out. This year, maybe a little bit more so than others, but. I've had a blast this week. We still got a couple of days to go, but I'm certainly excited to be here with you uh, talking a little Alabama LSU.
0: Yeah, the coverage has been thick, as you might expect at BamaOnline.com between Charlie Potter, between Clint, Jimmy doing their preview stuff for us on YouTube and in podcast formats as well. I've been doing a lot of that, done some writing, going to continue to do some writing. I know you have as well. I know we also, courtesy of you, have our BOL staff predictions already up on the website for Saturday night's game. And just perusing that a little bit earlier, Clint, looks like the scores once again are kind of in that same frame in terms of point totals or what it might take for Alabama Point wise, to win this game against LSU,
1: yeah, it's so interesting because with LSU's offense, you kind of feel like, you know, they're probably going to need to be in that high twenties, low thirties, mid thirties. If it starts getting beyond mid thirties, you really start to have to wonder, um, you know, if Alabama can can score enough to be able to keep up with that. But I will say, uh, we always end up being relatively close as far as staff predictions are concerned. Uh, but, you know, they're, I, I will say in most cases, they're, we're never too far off. So I, what was your score prediction? Do you remember? I
0: went 33-26 Alabama. I, like yeah. I just
1: wanted to go the poetic. Like, I think I went 35-33. LSU scores a late touchdown. They have to go for two to send it to overtime. They fell a two-point conversion. Uh, you symmetry. Know, thought, yeah, absolutely. bringing it all the yeah. way back just, around. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the score could end up being right. It did not play out that way. And, you know, when you get very specific with the predictions, that's kind of what happens. But I wanted to work the two-point conversion in there. And it's something that I very much believe could end up happening. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun game for sure.
0: Yeah, it could be that tight. It really could. I think there could be maybe more field goals than some folks are anticipating. Um, whether, you know, that's because Alabama stiffens defensively Uh, inside its own 20, or when LSU has those opportunities on Alabama's end of the field, I think Alabama, when it has the ball offensively from time to time, can do some things that help stop itself, maybe more so than this LSU defense, which by all accounts going into this game Saturday night in a rough spot in terms of player availability, especially on the back end. Cornerback spot, Clint, but also Makai Wingo, a big absence up front. For LSU. Uh, In some ways, does that put even more pressure, though, on the Alabama offense to deliver and not just deliver, but deliver from the outset of this game, not wait until the middle of the second quarter or into the second half to kind of find its legs and really get going from a point production perspective?
1: Yeah. And what's really interesting about Alabama's offense is sometimes it really hadn't mattered who they've gone up against. They've kind of shot themselves in the foot and not had success. And they could end up doing something similar on Saturday. Uh, But also from the injury perspective with LSU and Wingo being out, they already ranked close to, I want to say they were like number 86 in the country as far as uh, run defense or somewhere in that range. It's late 80s, it's early 90s. Uh, And now that he's out, you would think Alabama, what they want to do is kind of what their offensive identity has been up to this point running the football is what they want to do. They haven't always done that effectively, but they have gotten a lot better at that in recent weeks. Uh, And then it's, you know, taking those vertical shots, uh, you know, connecting on a couple of those. I think they should be able to do it, but if you're from LSU's perspective and you just don't have a whole lot to lose defensively with how depleted you are, that also we talk about Alabama's offense and how it needs to be a little bit more aggressive than it's been against elite offenses in recent games like First half against Tennessee, you know, the entire game last year against Tennessee, I thought they were a little bit too conservative in their game plan. We talk about them needing to be aggressive. Uh, you know, LSU probably will want to be a little aggressive too defensively because, I mean, you you feel like you, you got to take some chances, right? Um, so I'll be curious to see how they attack Alabama's offense. And Alabama, you know, for whatever reason, they tend to have these spurts and not having a whole lot of offensive success. If that happens, uh, you're going to really need your defense to come up big.
0: Yeah, if you're LSU with the personnel deficit that the Tigers are working with, maybe there will be this sort of throw caution to the wind uh, take on it for the LSU uh, defense. Maybe you just say, you know what, we like to do some different things with Harold Perkins. We like to drop him into coverage, You know, let him make plays in space. Maybe we just turn him loose, let him play downhill, Uh, Go get after the football, whether it's run, whether it's pass, defense, uh, pass rush, those type of things. uh, Maybe that's what comes into play. But, you know, I think a lot of this week has been about, uh, as you made a good point, talking about how LSU defensively may look to get after Alabama. So much of the narrative this week about Alabama's defense and that approach. um, You know, we saw it last year. I thought last year. Alabama actually had some good calls on for most of that game. You know, it was a lack of poise for me as much as anything else because, again, Alabama was in position. Sometimes the matchups weren't exactly favorable, okay? But there was responsibility that was in play for some guys that either busted assignments, didn't make tackles, got out of pass rush lanes. So for me in this game Saturday night, that's what I'm going to be as interested to see with this Alabama defense as anything else. What did it learn from a year ago? It can't say it doesn't know when it comes to Jaden Daniels. And even the the addition of Logan Diggs for LSU offensively. You know, LSU hurt Alabama with the running backs in the run game last year. Josh Williams, John Emery. Um, Alabama did a pretty good job against those LSU wide receivers. I mean, when you look at Kayshawn Booty, and also Malik Neighbors, they combined for 100 receiving yards. It's not like they went for 250 between them. You know, I don't think Jaden Daniels averaged more than six yards per pass attempt a year ago. I think that we was, all, I think we all agree LSU was obviously advanced since that game on the offensive side. But um, you know, it, it's not like Alabama was just shredded in the game. It just didn't deliver when the game was on the line as much as anything else.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, not being able to keep Jaden Daniels contained in certain situations. Uh, I think he went close to 100 yards on the ground, had that touchdown, Um, but you're 100% right. And I will be curious to see how Alabama attacks LSU offensively. And a lot of that's, you know, dictated based off of personnel, but there's also some coaching elements in that and how they want to, you know, what is the game plan and and what do they want to do defensively to try to make life difficult on Jaden Daniels and really, you know, an LSU offense that you, you can't put too many holes in it. I mean, a tight end, the offensive line, they can, they, I feel like they've been doing a much better job with their run blocking and moving guys up front. They can pass block extremely well, keep Jaden Daniels protected. They got receivers. They got a good tight end. That's a complimentary piece. Uh, so you look at their offense and you say, okay, where do you try to attack them? And And with, you know, you saw something similar with Tennessee's offense last year. They don't operate the same way. But as far as looking and saying, it's kind of pick your poison, right? And, and LSU can kind of play that numbers game in the box as well and let Alabama kind of dictate how they're going to attack them offensively. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think last year against Tennessee, you saw a lot of three-man fronts, uh, you know, dropping eight into coverage, I think they gave up a little bit too quickly as far as being able to get after Hen Hooker and apply some pressure. And I think Georgia took a little bit of a different route and you saw them have more success with that as far as limiting that Tennessee offense. I think that's something that Kevin still probably needs to do in this game is be more aggressive. Uh do you see? I think last year you saw some uh, you know, heavy nickel uh, or excuse me, uh heavy, you know, fronts as far as the, you know, three defensive linemen. Uh, and one outside linebacker, excuse me, you didn't. I, I wonder if you'll see yeah, that you this saw
0: week. Yeah, you saw more of the right, in that game last year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I I wonder if will they continue to do that because this year they've been more heavy nickel-based. And with that being where they're they're kind of comfortable and the fact that at least you can run the football, do you attack them that way? Do you go back to the heavy nickel? Uh, I don't think you're going to see too many situations where they have – you know, one defensive lineman on the field, which is what I'll, a lot of fans criticize uh, Pete Golding for. But, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I think the, the thing that you, you kind of like about this matchup, if you're Alabama, you can be pretty situational, I think, on defense because LSU, unlike Tennessee, not a real up-tempo offense. I've seen more tempo from LSU. Well, for Brian Kelly, relative to what we saw from Notre Dame offenses, Uh, last year even, we saw more tempo for LSU. I don't think maybe comparatively to even the 2019 LSU offense, which we saw some tempo with Joe Burrow uh, and those guys, uh, you're going to see quite that much. So if you want to open up possessions in your big nickel and those three defensive linemen, because you do have to account for Logan Diggs, and I've pretty much been on the soapbox all week about first and foremost – you're going to have to deal with that quarterback running back dynamic because Alabama did not handle that well as the game moved on a year ago in Baton Rouge. So for me, first and foremost, that's at the top of the to-do list. I understand Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., um, Lacey, Mason Taylor at the tight end position. I, I get it with all the weapons and the big play potential in the passing game. But, you know, when you look at Sort of what those two guys between Jaden Daniels and Logan Diggs are averaging per game right now on the ground, especially in SEC play. Uh, I'm sure that has Nick Saban, Kevin Steele, and the rest of that staff's attention.
1: Yeah, and you saw that. I don't think enough people talk about the success that Tennessee had last year on the ground. Uh, everybody wants to, to kind of highlight Jalen Hyatt and the kind of performance that he had. But a lot of that was dictated based off of when Tennessee wanted to run the football, they can run the football. Uh, And, you know, that's something that you can't allow LSU to do. I understand Jaden Daniels is a, a very good quarterback and he's as lethal with his arm nowadays as he is with his legs. I understand they got a lot of weapons in the passing game, but you have to first and foremost make them one dimensional because I think really what's helped them. Is the fact that they've now got a a run game that can complement the passing attack, and so you can maybe make them a little bit uncomfortable if you take away that element, force them to throw the football. I'm not saying that they're not capable of playing that style, but I do think that you know they've been able to kind of dictate how they attack defenses a little bit too much. And if you're Alabama, you kind of want to put them on their heels. Uh, you know, I've seen people talk about being a little bit conservative in how you attack their uh, you know offense. I wouldn't take that route. I wouldn't let them bring the attack to you. I'd take it to them.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much I'd bring five or six um, in terms of numbers, but as far as mixing it up, I think you got to do that. Sometimes simulated pressures are just as effective because um, you're, you're you're bringing guys from different areas and, and that can confuse quarterbacks and pass protection schemes, things like that. You can bring four. Uh, If one time, maybe it's a corner from the boundary. One time it's a star defender. Um, You know, Alabama's done a good job, though, with its four-man pass rush for the most part. Hasn't always gotten home, but, you know, I think even with the uh, evolution of some of these interior guys like Tim Keenan and uh, Jaheim Otis as he continues to grow, Tim Smith playing up to his full potential, it seems, this season, Damon Payne giving you some quality reps, and also... You know, a couple of guys that didn't play in this game a year ago that Alabama will have Saturday night in Deontay Lawson Lawson and Justin Aboigbe.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a phenomenal point uh, because those two players, if you are going to go heavy nickel uh, and you're going to, you know, put an emphasis on stopping the run, making them as one-dimensional as possible, uh, limiting their early down success, which I think is very important, and how they get that, you know, uh, they have a, a a lot of different ways that they can have success on early downs. But if you can limit that, kind of force them into third and long situations as much as possible, earn the right to get after the quarterback, even though I think LSU's offensive line has been really good. Uh, I think the fact that they've had that complimentary run game, the fact that they've had Jaden Daniels have success running the football. They've been in a lot of favorable situations where, you know, opposing pass rushes haven't had a ton of opportunities to kind of tee off and get after the quarterback. And so if you're Alabama, it's, you know, put that emphasis on stopping, you know, their success on early downs uh, and then, you know, trying to earn the right to get after the quarterback. And if they can do that, I understand that LSU's got a good offensive line. I don't think Alabama's going to have their way with that group like, you know, maybe they have with some others. But at the same time, I also think LSU is going to play Alabama a little bit more straight up because they're confident in their offensive line holding up. And, you know, these are two especially those guys out there on the edge, it's two NFL caliber players, uh, potential day one talents. And I think they're going to have their fair share of success if they can get in those situations where they have earned the right to get
0: to the quarterback. You mentioned confidence. I wonder, you know, and I don't mean this in a derogatory fashion where this LSU offense is concerned, but you almost get the sense there's some arrogance with LSU offensively in a way similar to what like Alabama was let's say in 2018 with Tua and those receivers and maybe even to an extent you could say 2020 with Mac Jones and the pieces um that Alabama had offensively. So, I'm with you. I, I don't think LSU's coming into this game thinking they have to reinvent the wheel by any means on the offensive side. And I also agree with you that they feel like yeah, Alabama's a really good defense, but they haven't seen a couple of offensive tackles like we're going to throw at Braswell and Turner and then Alabama's probably looking at LSU and thinking the same kind of thing. Yeah, this is a really good LSU offense, but since Florida State, I think you can certainly say that LSU offensively hasn't seen a defense quite like Alabama's.
1: Yeah, that's a great point and, you know, that's kind of that will be what I'll be interested to see because Alabama is going to have the home crowd. The defense is probably going to have a lot of energy. Their offense, as far as how they're able to operate, it won't be easy by any means. Uh, I think they'll handle it fine. There's nothing really that's happened up to this point that would suggest that they wouldn't, but you're hundred percent correct. I think they do play them a little bit more straight up. I think that presents some opportunities and it's almost, you know, an example that I would use. Um, I, I wouldn't quite go this far, but it was almost Georgia SEC championship in 2021 with their defense going against Alabama's offensive line where there was almost an overconfidence in their ability to manhandle Alabama's offensive line. And because of that, I think there were a little bit, I wouldn't say basic or vanilla, but they thought our dudes were going to be able to beat their dudes fairly simple. Uh, that shouldn't be much of an issue. We should be able to control the line of scrimmage, uh, dictate how this game is played and then they get into the game and Alabama's offensive line held up a lot better than they were anticipating. And they found themselves in a world of trouble. I'm not saying that that LSU is, is they don't view their offense as having this huge advantage over Alabama's defense, especially in Bryant Denny stadium. So it's not that to that degree, but I do think there is, like you said, there's some, I wouldn't go maybe arrogance, but it definitely they're very, very confident in their ability to play their game and have success doing it.
0: Yeah, you know, and if you're the LSU staff and you're maybe worried about some of that, there are those six sacks that Alabama had of Jane Daniels a year ago. Again, you know, you think back to that game and, and the the way you feel about it a year later and kind of the statistical data that you revert back to doesn't exactly line up. It wasn't an easy game for the LSU offense. Made the plays when they had to, especially Daniels with his legs. And, you know, we talk about these explosive playmakers for both teams, really, in the passing game. Uh, But it was running backs last year. John Emery had the longest reception in that game by an LSU player, the 30-yard rail route that he turned into a touchdown when Alabama busted the coverage. Um, And then Jace McClellan, you know, Talk about Jermaine Burton. Ja'Cory Brooks had seven catches for 97 yards in that game in Baton Rouge. This just shows you how things can change in a year's time. But Jason McClellan had a 65-yard catch and run uh, in that game. So uh, don't forget about the running backs in this. And for Alabama, you know, Jason McClellan, he's on a bit of a hitter of late. Workman's-like performance against Tennessee, a guy who's doing a great job. The backs in general doing a great job taking care of the football. not putting up huge numbers as far as explosive runs, especially, but Jace is right around 200 rushing yards in his last two games. I think the bye week probably came at a good time for him. He's not a Derrick Henry type. You know, you give him 27 carries like he got against Tennessee, Jace going to feel that. You know, Derrick Henry, it, well, give me 40. Um, So that probably came at a good time for Jace, but – Uh, You know, this is a game where I I think Jace goes for his third three 100 yard game of the season. And if that's the case, it'll be his third 100 yard game against a ranked opponent because he's already done it against Ole Miss and Tennessee.
1: Yeah, that's a great, a great observation, too. And I've seen where a lot of fans want Alabama to use maybe more Jim Miller and more Justice Haynes in this game. That's certainly possible, but I think they feel fairly confident in their ability to to get the job done with the veterans that they have. They're playing good football, and there will be you know times in, in some other games where maybe you can get them more involved. And I'm not saying that they won't be, but I I will say when you're kind of um, the last thing you want to do in this type of game is give LSU's offense more opportunities, more drives. Uh, and so I'm not saying that Justice Haynes has a fumbling problem or Jam Miller does. I'm saying the trust factor in these bigger moments or these bigger games typically lies with your veterans. So I wouldn't be shocked at all against Tennessee. Obviously, Alabama got down early in that game. I think that kind of played a role in what the you know touches look like or the snaps look like at the running back position. But I think in this type of game going in, It's probably going to be the Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams show. And it's going to be probably primarily Jace, if I had to guess, even though you'll see Roydell or uh, you'll see Williams plenty as well. But just I I wouldn't, if I was an Alabama fan, if you do get to see those other two guys, that's great. Uh, I would love to see a little bit more of them as well, but I wouldn't be anticipating that going in.
0: Yeah. You know, coaches tend to think different than we do. And certainly as fans do. And so they take that into account. You know, we got a couple of backs that are productive enough right now and they take care of the football. That's that's big for coaches, you know. It's like, yeah, let's get away from this back who is, you know, over a hundred carries or so on the season, hasn't put it on the ground, and let's give some carries to some other backs who you know we're not as sure about, maybe in terms of oh, their their documented production at this point doesn't mean the staff doesn't feel like Jam Miller. And Justice Haynes can't get the job done if they throw him in there, but uh, feel pretty good as you said about some guys that have been in this situation in the past. Hey, we're going to get to some comments here on the program as well. Speed RTR Clint says if Alabama's offense could be defined as a team that feeds off big plays to find rhythm, like start of second half of Tennessee, should we see aggressive play calling early? From Reese. I guess everybody's definition, right, of aggressive can be different. Um, if you're talking about taking shots early, why not? I mean, when you look at this LSU defense right now, even before a lot of what it's dealing with, it was giving up massive amounts of explosive play. So uh, I've, I've seen a lot this week about, you know, stick with the run game, grind it out, shorten the game. That's fine. If, if you can line up and run at every snap, great. My thought on that is if a defense is going to give you some layups, you need to take your layups uh, as well. So, you know, I don't know how aggressive or what defines aggressiveness for some folks. I'll tell you what I'd like to see, just a continuation of the mix that we saw against Tennessee, the variety that we saw uh, from Tommy Reese and the Alabama offense a couple of Saturdays ago.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it it really felt like Tommy Reese – I don't want to say this definitively because I don't know, but it just feels like that he's wanted the identity to be, you know, come out and set the tone of the game. And, you know, that can happen through explosive plays, but as far as physicality and establishing, establishing yourself as the more dominant physical team, it's kind of felt like Alabama's wanted to do that early in games. just kind of hammering the football right at the defense. They've actually, you know, up until, you know, a couple of weeks before the Tennessee game, they had actually had quite a bit of success on the first play of the game doing that, uh, but then you saw them come out. They did struggle, I think, against Arkansas on that front, against Texas A&M, didn't have a lot, a lot of success on first down, trying to run it pretty much you know, up the middle. And so against Tennessee, first play of the game, play action. Uh, second play of the game is a design quarterback run. So you threw some variety in there. And I think that that shows a willingness to maybe do some of that stuff. Are they going to take a shot on the first play of the game? I, I doubt it. But as far as throwing in some mixture, some play action, and if you can get yourself up there around midfield and it's first down, you've gotten y- yourself a couple of plays. Maybe it's throwing some different things out there. Maybe it's a jet sweep with Kendrick Law, or maybe it's ripping off a big run, or maybe it's a play action pass to a tight end that gets you know 20, 25 yards or something like that. At that point, yeah, I could definitely see them taking some shots, but that's a, a great observation as far as understanding that it's the explosive plays that have really helped get this Alabama offense going in a lot of these games. And if that's the case, you know, why would you wait until the second half to really start doing that? Start going ahead and taking some of these shots a lot earlier and seeing what happens. Maybe you can get some offensive momentum happening a lot early in, earlier in these games than what we've seen up to this point.
0: We're going to head backstage and welcome Jimmy Stein to the broadcast now. Jimmy, I know you're Ready for this one on Saturday night. We're getting a lot of interaction with Bama fans through the first 25 minutes of tonight's show. Um, Let me ask you this as we bring you on here. Not exactly a fast-starting Alabama offense uh, on a consistent basis anyway. I mean, there have been games like Mississippi State where – between a sort of busted play that Jalen Milroe inter- turn turned into a touchdown and a defensive score from Chris Braswell, they got out to a 14 to nothing lead. But what for you constitutes a good start for Alabama in this game Saturday night?
2: Uh, not getting behind, you know, I, I think this is a game unlike Tennessee where if you get behind, there's serious, serious trouble. Uh, against Tennessee, it was conceivable that Alabama's defense would make stops and 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 sort of get back into the game because Tennessee wouldn't run away and score 35, 45, 52 points again. Uh, against LSU, there's that real danger of that happening. I, I think once you get behind, maybe you feel pretty good about, hey, you know, we're only down 17-7. I mean, you're only down 17-7. Seven. We're only down 10 against a team that hadn't been great defensively all year. We can get back in this thing. Well, well, the problem is making the stops. Yeah, you can score the 10 points you need to make up that lead. You can score 17 or 24. But if they keep scoring, and they might, that that's the bigger issue to me. So, to me, a good start isn't necessarily racking up points early, big plays early, 80-yard bombs out of the gate. That'd be nice. I'm not saying don't do those things, but to me, the definition of a good start is not getting in all. Uh, just basically starting the game where, okay, hey, you know, it's it's seven nothing, it's seven seven, it's ten to seven, it's fourteen to ten, it's fourteen thirteen. Uh, I, I think that's fine. I think Alabama can win the game from that point. But hey, what was it? Uh, the Tennessee game? I think it was twenty to seven at the half. Yeah. If it's twenty to seven at the half against LSU, I would be even more concerned than I was against Tennessee. And trust me, I was concerned, but I will be even more so because my my fear will be, how are you going to get the stops? Because
0: boy, they're they're really good on offense. Yeah, Alabama defensively late in the first half against Tennessee, as we know, did not get a stop. Tennessee went the length of the field to go up by two scores, but one thing Alabama did have was the ball coming out, and boy, that can change a mindset pretty quickly from negativity to some at least flickering of positivity. If you're down 20 to 7 or a couple scores and LSU has the ball coming out, that's uh, especially worrisome. Let me ask you, Clint, or let's talk about it from the, the start of the game standpoint. I think if Alabama, to me, doesn't have to score right from the outset, but a couple of first downs, get the ball out towards midfield if you start out at your own 25. Let James burnup have an opportunity to put LSU on the long field. I think the one thing you really don't want offensively in this game is a three and out and you're punting it from inside your 30. And I know Burnup can flip the field. He has that ability even from that spot on the field to do it. Uh, but just from a psychological perspective, you want to move the football at least a couple of first downs. And then if you have to punt it, uh, put LSU on that long field early.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you're going to want to have some sort of early offensive success because you should have offensive success. I mean, this isn't, you know, a Texas A&M defensive front. It's not, you know, Tennessee's defense going into that game and Alabama has kind of struggled with not having a lot of early offensive success. And, you know, you've got to establish, and, and, you know, it could be that Alabama wins the toss, they defer to the second half and you're getting, you know, the LSU offense out there first, but, you know, even if, you know, and, and Jimmy, and Jimmy and I have talked about this, if you can even hold them to a field goal on the first drive, you know, I still think that's a net win based off of what this LSU offense is capable of. Some fans might not view it that way, but you know, uh, if you look at the Tennessee game this year and the fact that you know there was a co- they scored a touchdown on their opening drive, but then I think they punted on their next one, and then they had back-to-back field goals. Holding them to field goals was so crucial in keeping the Alabama offense in it. It gave it kept them within striking distance. And so, if the you know the, this is all about complimentary football, you're going to need some stops at some point. There's no way in my opinion, that Alabama is going to go blow for blow if LSU's offense is having its way with Alabama's defense. I just don't foresee that happening. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot at some point, and LSU is going to be able to create some separation. So you're going to need some defensive stops. But you need early, I think, that you know it would be great to set the tone defensively. But offensively, I agree with you. I think it's very important for them to show some signs of life and give kind of the crowd energy – give the sidelines energy and kind of show where we are going to be able to have plenty of offensive success. Uh, defense, all you need to do is get us those one or two key stops and we should be able to handle the rest. Let's do this together. And I think that's the way that you want to kind of come out. But I think, you know, it would be great if Alabama's defense went out there and held LSU's offense to a three and out to start. I would actually probably say that's ideal because that really sets the tone for the game. But um more than likely it's going to come down to the offense. Uh, showing that they can, you know, do what we think they can do against LSU's defense.
0: One prediction, Jimmy, I feel pretty confident in is that if Alabama wins the toss, Nick's going to defer to the second half. He's <laughs> going to put that LSU offense out there uh, from the the get-go. So, um, you know, when you look at this game, too, uh, as far as Harold Perkins, and I got to get your thoughts on this, Clint, before you, you check out with us, um, it, it would seem that, another area where running the football would obviously be effective would be with him uh kind of keeping his eye level out of the strike zone so to speak in terms of pass rush opportunities and the havoc that he can cause you know i know that lsu likes to use him in some different ways jimmy i think if you're alabama you'd love to see him use that way kind of like even will anderson was maybe last year um if he's doing some other stuff, then maybe he can't hurt you in some areas where you're specifically a little bit deficient, at least. And when I say that, I'm talking about pass protection.
2: Yeah, I hope uh, Brian Kelly isn't uh, one of the one of the listeners tonight. Let's hope he's not, because <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give away a little secret here from Alabama fans. This is what I don't want to see, and I'm just being honest uh, when it comes to Harold Perkins and his usage. I don't want to see him. Lined up one on one with with Alabama's true freshman left tackle in a pass rushing pass rushing situation. I don't want to see that. Uh, I, I, I sort of fear how that might end. And and in terms of that being a knock on Caden Proctor, hey Harold Perkins is going to beat just about any left tackle in this country. He's he's that sort of an elite athlete where he's just speed rushing off the edge and being disruptive from the edge. Uh, with Proctor and maybe a tight end chipping or a back helping him out. But I don't want to see that. Uh, I would rather see Harold Perkins lined up inside. I would rather see Harold Perkins lined up anywhere else doing anything else. And I think Alabama can handle that. Uh, What I, I don't think Alabama or many teams could handle is just the straight Harold Perkins lining up as a speed rusher from that side. I would put the over-under on Perkins alone, his sacks. I would put the over-under at two and a half and probably lean towards betting the over if that's how they used him for 60 minutes. Uh, I hope that Brian Kelly and and LSU staff uh, use Perkins in other ways,
0: however those ways are. Clint, and Jimmy said it, it's not just a Caden Proctor thing because against Alabama's tackles last year, um, you know, Perkins had a sack and three quarterback hurries.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll be curious to see how they use him too. Uh, because I will say, I think it was the Mississippi state game last year, Alabama, Mississippi state was trying to get out little bit They were trying to run out of Alabama out of their defensive personnel. They wanted them to respect the run more to open up the pass. And that's just something, you know, Mike Leach, um, that, With the way he likes to throw the football, Alabama was never going to respond because they knew that's exactly what they were trying to do. But what Alabama did do as far as adjusting to help stop the run is they just started sending Brian Branch a ton from that star position. And just he was wreaking havoc in Mississippi State's backfield. And to some degree, that's kind of the role that Harold Perkins plays. Like he'll rush the quarterback a little bit. They play him as an off-ball linebacker. But he's kind of that Sam star player where he's playing in the apex he's playing in space and so i think you're going to get something similar where he's lining up out there off the ball and they're going to be sending him just a ton and and that will generate pressure on the quarterback when they're throwing it but also you know creating some issues as far as how do you get him blocked out there and you know when he's coming from space and he's got that explosive closing speed and he's just he can time things really well if i was lsu i would do that quite a bit but i also think in some situations where you know Alabama's throwing the football, it would be completely foolish not to uh, throw him out there on the edge and let him go one-on-one matchup, especially against, uh, you know, Caden Proctor. And we talk about Proctor and, and how that's an area, you know, where LSU probably feels like they can win. What's well, understandable because, you know, we all talk about how great J.C. Latham is. Last year, he really struggled in this game. In fact, I think it was probably his roughest performance of the entire year last year. And he was a really good tackle last year. He's better this year, in my opinion. But, I mean, even – it's just this LSU defensive front with Harold Perkins and the way that they can use him, it's going to be problematic for anybody. So this isn't personal towards Proctor. I do think they try to help him out in some situations. But if I was LSU, I would get creative in how I tried to create some, some mismatches and some opportunities for Perkins because defensively, those are the kind of risks that you want to take. Because you know you don't feel like you probably are not overly confident in your ability to play Alabama straight up and have a lot of success because of the deficiencies and the the fact that your secondary is depleted. So, you know, I, I do. I, I'll be curious to see how LSU attacks Alabama offensively and specifically what Harold Perkins' role is and all that.
0: Should be a lot of fun for us anyway. And uh, Clint, we'll know you will be. Heavily tuned in on Saturday night, like the rest of us. And we certainly, as always, appreciate you joining us here on Thursday night. Tied as we run the three-man weave here for about 10 minutes with the three of us. And then we let Clint sort of mosey on about his business and wrap it up with Jimmy Stein and myself. Hey, Clint, thanks a lot. Do it again next week. Thanks, my man.
1: Absolutely, fellas. It was good talking to you guys, and we'll we'll talk soon. There he
0: goes, Clint Lamb checking in with us this evening. always enjoy our time with Clint. Clint and Jimmy do a lot of great stuff for us at BamaOnline.com Hey, you know, Jimmy, we've got Justin Summerlin here in the chat checking in. His comment is Kendrick Law will go off in this game. Amari Nye Black too. So, you know, Kendrick Law is an interesting dude. I don't know anyone that doesn't like Kendrick Law, whether it's as a teammate, whether it's as a, a leader type, whether it's as is his physical attributes, what he brings to the table, special teams as a receiver, as a sort of utility player, um, which kind of begs the question of, when are we going to see more touches for Kendrick Law? Yeah, he's a different dude. I mean, a lot of people know I
2: sort of live on campus now uh, for this year. We'll see about going forward, but right now I'm kind of living on campus. So I'm always on campus and seeing a lot of these guys. And let me tell you, when you see Kendrick Law, when he's going to class, when he's just like any, any other student, and, and I've been looking at football players a long time. You'd swear he is a running back or maybe even a linebacker. He he is absolutely not built like the typical wide receiver we have had at Alabama. He he looks like a Swiss Army knife, which is exactly how I would describe him as a player. Uh gosh, he, he is just ripped to shreds, and, and and now we've all seen him run. And uh, I, I think the kid runs a, a true 4440, even though he is built like a linebacker and not many linebackers run uh like he does um real talented kid but he's also still a young player I noticed how last uh the last game against Tennessee they were almost forcing a way to get the ball in his hands right I mean it's difficult enough to run routes get open give Milrow enough time make him make Kendrick Law the number one receiver in the route uh it's just easier if you're like hey you know what we're gonna do we're gonna put Kendrick Law Motion. We're just going to give him the ball that that to me is forcing him to be a part of the game plan. We've tried to use him in the kick return game, but most kicks just aren't returned uh, in college football anymore. Kick sail into the end zone or you fair catch him. And that's that. So I think it's a clear signal, Travis and Justin Summerlin, uh, that uh, they want him involved. They need him involved. And Alabama sort of needs a third threat outside. I mean, Burton is, is wide receiver one. Bond is a fantastic deep option, big play machine. It'd be nice to have that third option uh, that the defense has to worry about. As far as Nye Black goes, Travis, uh, Clint pointed out earlier this week uh, to me uh, in looking over LSU's numbers, LSU struggled a little bit getting the tight end covered, and I bet they haven't matched up with many like Nye Black. So I think the idea uh, that Clint and now Justin Summerlin have – about uh, Nye Black having a big game. That's sort of written in the stars here. I'd look for Ny Black to catch maybe four or
0: five balls on Saturday. I think Kamla, too, had three catches for 50 yards against LSU last year for Alabama. And Luke Haas, I recall, for Arkansas, unfortunately for him, he's out. He's been injured since the Razorbacks game in Baton Rouge against LSU. He lit up – LSU for some big numbers as a freshman. So could be, you know, the matchups really in every aspect of the passing game should favor Alabama. Uh, but we'll see. Again, will, we'll find out if Alabama can utilize that in a way in which um, it can get off to a fast start. Bama Rockstar here in the chat. Guys, we are going to run, 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 hit the play action deep shots and control. The clock. Bama Rockstar thinks Alabama runs for 200 yards in this game. Wasn't able to do it last year with Jameer Gibbs and Jace McClellan. But um, yeah, the numbers kind of speak to that possibility. It looks like Alabama run game trending in the right direction. Uh, LSU defensively, not so much.
2: Yeah, second half of Tennessee, I would sort of describe Alabama that way. Jace McClellan rushing for over 100 yards and and Jalen Milrow also uh hitting a couple of deep shots in that second half, uh, along with that run game. That that's a very tough combo to beat. But you know, uh, of course, Travis and I are, are both a little old school, so so we're in favor of this. But the easiest way to win a football game, or the most certain way to win a win a football game, if you can run the ball and do nothing but run the ball and make first down after first down after first down and in the drives and scores then you would never throw it. Why throw it? Why throw it? If you can run it and be successful and not give the ball back and keep the clock and score at the end of your drives, you would never throw it. Even if Bryce Young was your quarterback, why would you throw it if you can run it and win the game? It's just the easiest thing to do. It's low risk. Uh, it keeps Jaden Daniels off the field. So I'm with Bam, a rock Rockstar who has a rock star idea, I think you spend the early part of the game. Someone, when you were talking with with uh, Clint earlier, Travis, someone talked about getting off to a good start. I tell you what would look like a good start to me, Travis. I don't know if it's going to end in points, but if Alabama came out first three snaps and did nothing but Jace right, Jace left, Jace up the middle, and you've made a first down and it didn't look hard, yeah, that 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 would be a nice sign, the sign that we can run this ball when we want to, even when they know it's coming, I think that's just ball game. Not just because Alabama will literally run it the entire game and not throw it, but because if you're running it, running it, running it, running it, that deep shot's going to be there whenever you want to dial it up. So,
0: man, I hope Mamma Rockstar's right. That sounds like a great formula to me. Yeah, you said even if you have Bryce Young as your quarterback, it's something you would do. Well... Kind of taking a Why? page out of Ole Miss twenty twenty one. Alabama did do that <laughs> in Tuscaloosa in the get your yeah. popcorn game, get your popcorn right. ready game. Um, That's right. Dominated time of possession. I think it was forty to twenty, something like that. Um, you know, Alabama in this game a year ago, man. You go back and look at that box score. You talk about a a lost opportunity uh, in Baton Rouge. Alabama ran eighty plus plays uh, in that game and, and still wasn't able to get the job done here comes the weekly question or the weekly comment jimmy matt Tenney. i'd like to see milro designed runs too the more we kick this around makes me think alabama could score 40 plus with a defensive score too. matt is uh he's cresting pace yourself matt you know he's (laughs) matt's ready to go on thursday night we love it in all seriousness but uh you know, 40 plus wouldn't be a bad thing, but it might also tell you that Alabama's in a mode where it has to score 40 plus if it gets into that situation.
2: You know, uh those Milro design runs, it almost makes me think. I'm sure, I'm sure the staff meeting didn't go this way, or I'm sure when when Tommy Reese was coming up with his play call sheet, and obviously there was a concerted effort to get Milro involved in the run game against Tennessee with those design quarterback runs. It's almost like there was a Eureka moment for for Tommy Reese and, and his people when When Tommy in this, uh, let's say this made up conversation with his staff was saying, you know, sometimes I wish I wish Jalen would pull it down and just run the ball. If that reads not there, just just be more decisive because he's just not running the ball as often as we would like him to. And then you can see the light bulb going off over his head as he said it out loud and realized you know what, I could make a play call in which he just has to run the ball. And that that's how I can get the kid to run the ball. I can just literally order it. Uh, and, and that's what happened. And, and it opens up so much. I think it's going to continue. I think the design runs are something we're going to see as much or more so than Milrow scrambles. I think it's just the play call itself. And as Alabama commits to more of it, I think it's going to open up so much stuff, including more room for the back to make plays uh, when it's Jace's turn or Roy Dell's turn. Uh, I I just love the Milrow design QB run calls. And it's just a way to ensure that Jalen Milrow is going to have an effect on the game with his legs.
0: Uh, Dexter Wright checking in says Alabama did shut down Lane Kiffin and the Rebels quarterback Heisman talk. I don't know if I recall Jackson Dart going into that game as much of a Heisman candidate, but that's certainly going to be the case Saturday night with Jaden Daniels. This has the feel of his opportunity, really. A uh, huge performance and an LSU win, maybe even an LSU defeat, depending on how the rest of the season goes. He could tempt Tebow in 2007. This thing, potentially, <laughs> but uh, this is this is another part of this whole thing. I mean, you talk about this rivalry first and foremost. It doesn't need much help, but then you start getting that type of angle. You had it a couple of years ago in Tuscaloosa, four years ago, I guess, with Burrow and Tua. Um, it's it's Jaden Daniels' ball right now when it comes to that.
2: Alabama, unfortunately, and this is the uh, uh scary part, the Halloween part of our uh, conversation, <laughs> the scary part, uh Alabama unfortunately has served as a bit of a launching pad for a few Heisman winners during the Saban era, right? I mean, Johnny Manziel's performance against Alabama, I think, was a big catalyst for him. Uh the cam back in 2010, uh Cam Newton uh you know coming back from that big deficit. And Bryant-Denny, uh, I'm not sure. I think Joe Burrow wins the Heisman, regardless of what happens, you know, in 2019. Uh, but but there's been others, you know, that, that, that it's, it sort of scares you up, uh, you know. So, on the other hand, All those LSU, games
0: in Bryant-Denny Stadium, by the way. Yeah, all the of one. them in Bryant-Denny. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. exactly. Sometimes that's a little scary. But <laughs> I also remember an LSU running back who came to Alabama in 2015 with an apparent Heisman lead, and Alabama ended – the notion that Leonard Fournette would win a Heisman trophy in 2015. In fact, replacing Leonard Fournette with one of their own. Now that's not going to happen this year, but Alabama has also spoiled some uh, Heisman wishes. So there's, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it it is a little scary knowing that with a big performance and a win Saturday, you might be able to start etching
0: the kid's name on the trophy. Jonathan Hurst checking in here. Saban popped a blood vessel in his eye from yelling "Bama" by 20. We heard that from Nick on the coaches show uh, earlier yeah. this evening. Do you think that that pop blood vessel came when Kool-Aid McKinstry didn't catch that punt late against Tennessee, uh, based on his reaction? You know, with Nick though, it it, it could have came in practice today. Who knows, right? You know what's funny about Alabama
2: struggling with punt returns. Hey, Kool-Aid McKinstry is one of Nick's players. And by that, I mean everybody that, that listens to the show knows that Nick Saban is the cornerback coach for this football team. <laughs> so the corners are Nick's guys, right? And even more so than that, a lot of people might be unaware and might know Nick Saban was a punt returner when he was at Kent State. Now, I think he was the number two guy, the number two <laughs> punt returner. He didn't He was the fair catch
0: guy, yeah. Yeah, he
2: didn't actually return too many punts at Kent State. But he was punt returner number two, which means... Every single day in practice, Nick Saban was returning punts. So I'm sure he believes rightfully that he's a bit of an expert when it comes to returning punts. It's what he did when he was a player. So uh, I think with Kool-Aid being one of his guys and the punt returner, I think the Alabama fans that are stressed about the punt return situation aren't as stressed as Nick Saban is. I mean, this is his guy. It's one of his things that Coach knows a lot about. I think Coach has spent more time working on fixing this than people realize.
0: Yeah, it's it's more of a wiring concern than anything else because these guys can catch punts. You know, yeah. if they're back there, they obviously can catch it. I think it's more of where is their headspace or what's going on with that. Uh, when you start to detect an issue in that area, that's when you maybe become a little more inclined to take a look at another option. And it doesn't sound like anyway. We'll see Saturday night that Nick has reached that point with his guy Kool-Aid. McKinstry. Jonathan Hurst here checking in. I was
2: going to say real quick, Travis, you know what I would do, and no one should ever ask me what I would do if I was the coach because it's probably going to be a horrible idea, but what I would do, and I'm saying maybe people should look for this because I I would put two returners back there, two, not bench Kool-Aid. I'd put a second guy back there and uh, make it more difficult for the other team to punt away from either one. I don't care who ends up catching it, but I, I think twin returners is something that might help kool-aid and help alabama and at the same time you're not benching maybe the kid who's all these punters you're dealing
0: with these days you almost have to the way they they spread the ball around or some of these guys are punting with both feet you know so you don't (laughs) even know what you're getting punt to punt and uh i blame it on the australians i do it's the australians fault (laughs) it's fair this this never was an issue until the australians took over as the punters no in all seriousness and, and i know there's. There's folks that will tell you, well, just go after every punt. Just try to block every punt because some of these punters are holding on hmm. to the ball, allowing coverage guys to get down there. That makes it more difficult. Um, to that, I would say I'm good with that early in the game. At first punt, if you got a guy like that on the other side, I don't think Bramblet's that way. He's a Tuscaloosa kid. He's anything but Australian this week for <laughs> LSU. So that shouldn't be as much of an issue. But when you're dealing with those kind of punters, First one, I'd come after the guy and try to speed up his clock maybe for the rest of the game. Uh, we'll see how that goes this week. Jonathan oh, Hurst, Deontay Lawson master class, Jonathan's calling for mm-hmm. this Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's probably going to have to be. I mean, yeah. this could be a situation where Deontay 15, 16, 17 tackles before it's all said and done because of the way LSU will put him in conflict uh, in dealing with that quarterback running back dynamic in the run game not just jaden daniels but logan digs too uh some of the responsibilities he and the other inside linebackers could have against the tight end uh and then the way that he's able to play in coverage the depth that he gets and you know the things he can do there and also as a pass rusher it kind of has to be a master class for deontay Lawson saturday night
2: I bet he draws the assignment, uh, not every snap by any means. I think the, the key would be mixing it up, but I think there will be a spy on Jane Daniels quite a bit, and, and I think Lawson's going to draw that assignment a lot. Uh, but, you know, the key is mixing it up. I think if they know 32 is the spy uh, and, and is the spy for 60 minutes, they, they could sort of take some advantages there. But uh, Alabama's got good depth at inside linebacker in terms of playmakers. I think Jihad, I think Trez Marshall – both uh, could also share in some of the spy duties and just sort of always kind of keep them guessing a little bit as to where pressure's coming from and who's got who. Uh, but yeah, Deontay Lawson is key. Jonathan Hurst exactly right. He's key because he will have that Jaden Daniels duty at times, but there's also, there's also Diggs, Uh, there's also Mason Taylor. Uh, Deontay would have to be all all over all three of those guys at all times. So, uh, Really tough. They also line up. By the way, Malik Neighbors lines up in the slot. Some, and uh, you know, sometimes the guy that lines up in the slot, if you're in nickel, sometimes that guy initially is the outside linebacker or a linebacker. And when Alabama's in that uh, raptor package, look, sometimes Deontay's outside. I mean, he's he's outside in in the slot sometimes in that raptor package. I think we'll see some of that because Alabama's going to want to match Jaden Daniels' presence with a lot of speed. So. I would look for heavy use of uh, of the Raptor in third and long situations.
0: Yeah, it'll be also interesting to see how much man, true man coverage Alabama offers up against these LSU receivers. Because if you can do some of that, yeah, it frees up a guy like even Caleb Downs to to be more involved and Jalen Key and your safeties perhaps uh, to help out from that perspective. So talked about this with Clint Lamb. It looked like our predictions, our staff predictions, Jimmy, yeah. were pretty much in line. Once again, I had it thirty three twenty six Alabama. I think you were somewhere in that neighborhood as well. Uh, really, the staff in general, uh, give us a couple of reasons why you went the way you did with your pick.
2: Yeah, I said uh, thirty four twenty eight, but all, all of the all of the numbers were were very similar. It's funny how we, how we, we've done that all season long without comparing notes beforehand, right? We just send it, we just send it in, and and all the the scores look similar all the time. But look, uh. I think uh, in terms of why I I think Alabama is ultimately going to prevail is LSU is better on offense than they were a year ago. So a lot of these same guys, I saw Daniels last year, saw Neighbors last year, saw Brian Thomas last year, uh, didn't see Logan Diggs. But LSU's always got a a pretty good back. Uh, We did see Mason Taylor, unfortunately, especially at the end last season. So LSU's back and they're better. But Alabama's better, too. And as much as Alabama sort of failed last year in this game, it was by one play on the road. Uh, I I just think the home field environment, the fans, uh, the fans getting behind the team, the fans providing that sort of momentum that they did in the second half of the Tennessee game, all you have to do to beat LSU based on how the game played out last year was make about two or three more plays than you did a year ago, just two or three more plays. I think they do it on the home field. Uh, and, and one last point I'll make which is gonna sound crazy but you know Bryce young probably played his worst game in his two years at Alabama against lSU last year and I blame it on not practicing during the week sort of caught up to him I think you know he wasn't practicing during this time last year trying to rest that shoulder didn't want to risk uh hits uh didn't want to risk you know, any flare ups So they just sort of protected him during the week. I think it caught up to him. LSU completed less than 50% of his passes that, that night. How about this crazy thing to say, maybe Alabama with improved quarterback play over one year ago. And I'm not saying Melrose an improvement over Bryce young, but I'm saying in this particular game, he might be complete over 50% of your passes throw for 300 yards Rush for 50, 60, 65 yards that Bryce Young was never going to do a year ago trying to protect that shoulder. A healthy Milrow in this particular game against this LSU defense might be an upgrade this week and this week only, but Alabama wins the game behind a a nice fourth quarter for Milrow and an improved uh, defense over a year ago.
0: Well, if he has a better fourth quarter than Bryce had in Baton Rouge, that'll yeah. be a damn good fourth quarter. Because <laughs> you're right. right, Bryce wasn't <laughs> great for much of that game. But when it mattered in the fourth quarter, more so Absolutely. than the defense, he threw for about 120 yards there in the fourth quarter and left had the, the field with the lead. Left the field with the lead. Did yep. it a couple times in both the losses. Mm-hmm. And he handed yep. the defense the lead. The defense couldn't get it done. I'll just go with complimentary football being more of a thing with this Alabama team. Uh, this year than last year. It just seemed like they could never get it matched up a year ago. We just talked about it. you know, When it took Bryce or the offense, or they went away for a quarter or two. The defense was fine, but never working kind of in conjunction. And the kicking game is a part of that as well. So that's why I like Alabama. And also, I know there was a little bit of a narrative after LSU's wins over Auburn and Army that, hey, this defense rounding into form, but look. We know what Auburn and Army, Army lost to UMass, you know, so not quite buying that. I I think, I think LSU defensively is what we thought LSU was after that two game stretch of Ole Miss and Missouri when they really got torched pretty good uh, in those games. But we'll find out Saturday night, won't we? And look, we also have some, got some men's basketball cranking up, hoops, cranking up early next week. I know you're excited about that too fitting that hoops is getting cranked up
2: the same week the football team heads to Kentucky it just feels right just feels <laughs> right to play
0: two basketball games and then go to Kentucky absolutely Morehead State at Coleman Coliseum next Monday night should be another entertaining season we'll see maybe another championship season for Nate Oates he does that you know every couple of years it seems like these days Alabama out. just wins SEC titles well Jimmy as always, a lot of fun, my man. Always appreciate you taking the time here on Thursday Night Tide. Already looking
2: forward to next week. It is a great show. I
0: uh, Appreciate it, Jimmy. And appreciate all of the contributions we got from the viewers tonight, our BOL subscribers, especially we thank you folks for making our site what it is right there at BamaOnline.com. Continue to hang out with us at BOL. On the roundtable, our premium message board, we're going to have coverage, not just from the game perspective, but a huge recruiting weekend for Alabama football and men's basketball in Tuscaloosa. So you're going to want to check in on that with us as well. For Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us on Thursday Night Tide. And until next week, so long, everybody.